Pastor Xavier Reese and the perils that accompany those who insist on fighting against God's program. Some people think they can really win against God. Now, what are you doing in life that you think you're going to get over on God? How many people play games with God? And try as God may, people don't seem to get the message. God is trying to turn individuals, and instead, they just slow down. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Basic geometry and common sense tells us the shortest distance between two points is a straight line. Unfortunately, when men decide to alter God's perfect plan, they set the course for a completely different journey. Pastor Xavier points out the need to stick to God's program in order to finish well. Here he is with today's Simple Truths character study titled, Moses Part 3. Let's listen. We're going to be looking at Moses for the third part. We have looked at Moses from uh, the first two pictures, Moses the call deliver. This was a time from his birth to the Exodus. Then second, we saw Moses the tried leader. And that time was from the Exodus to Kadesh Barnea. We want to look at Moses from the third picture, Moses the aged father, and it's characterized by four things. The perceived ongoing rebellion of the people, the protection of God over his people, the provisions for settling the land by the people, and the proclamation of the law a second time to the people. Now, we'll give those one at a time, so don't freak out. Now, Moses, the aged father, occupies a time from Kadesh Barnea, where they refuse to enter in, until they are ready to enter the promised land once again. It'll take us from here to the end of Deuteronomy. Let's begin with the perceived ongoing rebellion of the people. This is the first thing we notice under Moses, the aged father. We begin in chapter 14. How about numbers? And first of all, the rebellion to enter the land cost their rest. Remember where we left off. Chapter 14, verse 26 to 38, the people have just been sentenced to a life of wandering in the wilderness, the death march of 40 years. They have refused to enter the land thinking that their children would be killed when in fact they would be the ones to dwell for 38 years, die, and their children would inherit the land. They attempted to go up on their own. What happened? They got wiped out. You and I cannot enter or appreciate or ever accomplish the things of the Spirit in the flesh. It's impossible. As you move on to chapter 15, Moses gave them the provisions for unintentional sins, presumptuous sins, in view of the fallen nature of man. And you get this through chapter 15, specifically verse 22 through 29. You see, as we walk through this world, we still need to confess. We still need an intercessor, right? Because we haven't arrived, right? Particularly if you're a Christian who's in the wilderness. You're always in the flesh. That's your dwelling. You're going in circles in a journey that should take you 11 days, and it takes you 38 years, 40 complete years. And sadly, that's a life of many Christians. They never enter in. He speaks about breaking the Sabbath by this man collecting 
sticks in chapter 15, verse 32, 36. Moses didn't know everything, so he took it to the Lord, and the Lord says, stone him. Why? Because he knew what God has said about the Sabbath, right? And they stoned him. Pretty sharp lessons. Now, you know, people say that today capital punishment has no incentive to deter crime. Oh, really? I know one person that's deterred right away, and I know many others will afterwards. We'll get to this more at the end of the numbers, and it tells you why we should have capital punishment. If they begin executing a person a day, those on death row, I guarantee you crime would drop. I guarantee you. I bet my life on it. But when you become humanistic, you worship the creature more than the creator, which is blessed forevermore. And then you're in trouble. In chapter 15, verse 37 to 41, the people were told by Moses to sew tassels on their corners of their garments to remind them of the commandments, the things of heaven, so they wouldn't be carried away by their evil hearts. Reminder, we need reminders, different reminders in our life. Remember, the Old Testament is all about testimonies, right? Memorials. Put a stack of stones here. This is where we cross. When your children rise up, what does this mean? This is when God delivered us. When you put things around your home or you say, you know, when we were first young, the Lord saved us, and you record your children, you remind them of what God did in your life. Don't wait till they're 30, 40 years old. They'll say, oh, really? Why didn't you ever tell us about it before? Let your children grow up with the testimony of what God has done in your life. By the way, don't share only your victories. <laughs> share some of your failures with your children. And God's mercies. Do tremendous things for them. Notice, secondly, when you get to chapter 16, the rebellion of Korah against Moses and Aaron. In verses 1 through 3, Korah, along with Abiram, Dathan, rose up with 200 leaders of the congregation against Moses and Aaron, declaring that they had attempted to monopolize the priesthood by exalting themselves above the assembly. Now, notice this rebellion now is in leadership. It happens all the time in churches. It's like the pecking order. <laughs> People are as carnal in the church as they are outside in the world. Verse 4 and 5, Moses fell on his face in amazement and told them that the Lord would show them exactly who he had chosen the next day. And so as you move through verse 6 through 12, Moses then rebuked them for despising the call of their own life to work in the tabernacle, you know, counting it a small thing. They were part of the tabernacle work, but they didn't. Well, we don't want that. We want, why can't we have that? And that's the way people in the church sometimes, well, I don't know why he's teaching that class. I've been here longer. Oh, really? Is it because we're here longer, or is it because God has called me, anointed me, and gifted me for that? Am I a hand? Then I should grab and not talk. Am I an ear? Then I should listen and not walk. How interesting it is. Verses 13 to 17. Moses called them, but they refused. So Moses asked the Lord not to respect their offering and told them that the Lord would reveal his choice the next day as he brought each man his censer before the Lord. Notice when you get to verse 18, down to 35, the Lord told Moses to separate himself from Korah and the other men, for he would consume them this, despite his intercession for them. Moses is interceding for them. This is the shepherd. This is the man of God if he loves you. He will be praying for you because he knows God's in control. But the earth opened up and swallowed him up. One of the most comforting things in my life is to know that God has called me, God has established this church, and God can take care of his church. It is his church. It is not mine. And as long as I do what I'm supposed to and teach the word of God and oversee and disciple, God will take care of the chorus. He's faithful. But now you start taking it on yourself to take care of it in the flesh, and now you're in the same level. Now you're in trouble as much as them. You got to make sure God's in it. As you look to verse 36, 
The Lord then told Moses to tell Eliezer to take the censer of the rebellious man, to hammer them for the covering of the burnt altar, to remind the people of God's judgment upon anyone who would usurp or attempt to take the priesthood office. Now, is that incentive to deter this type of activity? Absolutely. What did God do? He killed them. It's very simple. Poor God. He doesn't know that won't deter anybody. He didn't go to psychology school. You know what? No one can usurp your anointing, your calling. God has called you, then God is enabling you, then God is in it. You don't have to worry about it. Notice thirdly, when you get to number 1641, the rebellion of people against God's judgment of Korah and his friends. So God has judged them now, but you still have their followers. Remember, these were 250 of the leaders. Woe to the leaders that are as carnal as the people. Woe to the leaders that infect the people to usurp the authority of whoever God has placed. Now the people are on a rise. So the people blame Moses and Aaron in verse 41 for the death of the men. And then when you get to verse 42 to 45, the people gather together towards the tabernacle. The Lord appears. Moses and Aaron fall on their face again to intercede for the people. And God expresses his desire to consume the people. Do you notice something funny? Aaron and Moses are continually falling on their face, interceding for the people who are trying to hurt them. Then in verse 46 through 50, Aaron made an atonement for the people. In the very midst of the plague, Aaron stood between the dead and the living. So the plague was stopped after 14,700 fell besides Korah's group. Here are faithful men, shepherds, overseers. They're considering the people. They're interceding. Were they more compassionate than God? No. Where did their prayer come from? Was it because Moses and Aaron were so good? No, God was initiating the prayer. <laughs> God works on our heart, and we lift it up to him, and he does what he wanted to do in the first place. How does he does it? Through intercession. Where does it begin? With God. Where does it end? With God. Or do you think that Moses and Aaron were more righteous than God? When you pray, you intercede for forgiveness for somebody, do you think you have to talk God into it? Who do you think put it in your heart? Do you think you're that good? Or I? I don't think so. When you get to chapter 17, verse 1 through 13, the Lord reaffirms Aaron's call and his office by causing his rod to bud with almonds, a symbol of the resurrection, the first fruit that buds. And he placed it in the ark for a testimony forever. So nobody would usurp. So this was a testimony that all would know and remember. And you know what? It never happened again. Never. As you move on in chapter 18 to 19, you have the various duties of the priests and the Levites. Their support of the congregation, the tithe of the priests, the laws of purification were given. Why? Because they needed the fellowship with God. If people do not know how to worship, how to come to God, how to approach Him, then they have no way to get to Him. Therefore, we need to teach the Word of God. We need from the pulpit to instruct the people on the ways of God so they can have access to God. The Word of God is the only thing that's going to help you in life. Nothing else. Now notice, fourthly, when you get to chapter 20 of Numbers, the rebellion of Moses against the Lord now. So you have the people, you have the leaders. Now you have the leader, Moses. In verse 1 through 6, the children of Israel complain once again of having no water. They contend against Moses. And so he and Aaron fall on their faces before the Lord, and he appears to them. 
And then in verse 7 and 8, the Lord told Moses to take his rod and to speak to the rock as he gathered the congregation and it would yield the water so they would drink. But Moses took the rod in verse 9 through 11 and he gathered the people and said, what must I do, you rebels? Must I strike this rock to give you to drink? Drug the rock. Water came forth. But see, he led them to believe that God was mad at the people. He misrepresented God. God said, talk to the rock. So the Lord consequently told Moses in verse 12 through 13 that he had misrepresented him before the people, and therefore he would not enter the promised land. And he called the place Meribah, contention. I've got a feeling that it was a contention of Moses and not the people that God named us after. He was the leader. He was contentious against God. He didn't do what God told him to do. How important is it to do exactly what God tells you to do? This is a perfect example. Remember, he had struck the rock in Exodus 17, 6 already one time, right? Why was he not to strike it again? Because 1 Corinthians 10, 4 says that rock was Christ, and Christ only had to be smitten once. Moses blew the analogy. He struck it twice. <laughs> Jesus doesn't have to be stricken again. He's already been stricken once. The atonement is finished. Out of your innermost being shall gush torrents of living water. And the last day, the great day of the feast in John, he stood up on his feet when no water was brought forth from the pool of Siloam. And he said, if any man thirst, let him come unto me. He was talking about the Spirit of God that was not given to yet to the, to the church because Jesus was not yet glorified. That rock was Christ. He blew the analogy. Aaron's death on Mount Hor is stated due to his rebelliousness against God's word at Meribah also in verse 24. It's sad, but it happens at times in leadership. They misrepresent God. And they give the people the idea that God is mad. Or they give the people the idea that God is broke. Or they give the people the idea that the people are to do things for God rather than telling them what God wants to do for them. And they misrepresent God. Notice fifthly in verse 1 through 9 of chapter 21, the rebellion of the people comes now. The Lord delivered them in verse 1 through 5 from King Arad and by way of the Red Sea to go around Edom. And the people became discouraged and they spoke against God and Moses. And so in verse 6 through 7, Moses interceded for them as they asked him uh, to, but for God had sent fiery serpents into the camp and the people were dying. And so God, in verse 8 and 9, told Moses to make a fiery serpent, put it on the pole in the midst of the camp, and anyone who would be bitten, if they would look upon it, they would not die. That's faith. That's a beautiful type of the cross. Jesus picked that up in John 3, 14 through 15. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The serpent, a type of sin. The pole, a type of the cross. You had sin being judged on the cross in the wilderness. And I can imagine Moses saying, listen, just look, believe, and you will not die. Oh, that's stupid, Moses. Give me an antidote. And I can see him even going over there, grabbing the head and turning it, and the guy shutting his eyes and dies. We tell people, look to the cross, and you will live. I say, oh, come on, man. Don't give me none of that junk. I need help. Oh, really? Then I guess you're just going to die. Each of us as parents see the ongoing rebellion and sin nature of our children. Therefore, we know the feelings of discouragement. Uh, 
as well as the joy through diligence. This is Moses, the aged father. He's going through the very same things. The church and pastor do is no different. I am your spiritual father, yet many of you could be my grandparents. And I live with you every day, every week. And I see your lives, and I see your shortcomings. I see your successes. I see your victories. My heart breaks for some of the things that go in your life and for some of the choices you make. And I pray for you. But I can't live for you. Even as I pray for my children, but I can't live for my children. This is Moses. The aged father perceived the ongoing rebellion of the people. Secondly, we see the protection of God over his people. Numbers 21, verse 21, we see the protection of God against the other nations. Now, God defeated King Sihon and the Amorites and King Og of Basham in these verses 21 through 35. And then beginning chapter 22, you get the record that God put the fear in the heart of Balak, king of Moab, as Israel encamped in the plain of Moab. God was faithful. He says, I will, I will wipe them out. I will put fear in their heart. The aged father was seeing the fulfillment of God's word to put dread in the heart of the enemy. Notice, secondly, when you get to verse 5 of Numbers 22, the protection of God against the power of Satan is seen here. And we see this all the way to chapter 24, verse 25 with Balaam. Now, notice first in verse 5 through 13 of 22 that king of Moab sent for Balaam, the diviner, with a fee for his services that he might come and curse the children of Israel. But God did not allow him to go. Therefore, he sent the men away. But the king sent back more influential princes, verses 14 through 20, with financial incentives. And yet Balaam went to God and God says, listen, if they come and call you in the morning, then go with them, but you'll only speak the words I tell you. Well, by the time we get down to verse 21, down to 35, the anger of the Lord was aroused due to the fact that Balaam was already gone. With no doubt, he went before they called him. Because of greed. That was his motivation. So God was going to kill him. But as you know, he was riding his donkey and there was an angel here and he moved over and, you know, he struck his donkey, put it back on the path, then he crushed his leg and he was ready to get him. The Lord opened the eyes of the donkey as well as the man and he saw the angel and he said, oh, I'm sorry, I sinned, I'll go back. He says, no, it's okay. He says, truly, if it wasn't for your donkey, I would have killed you. But the interesting thing before that, the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey, Balaam's jackass, and he turned around and said, listen, wait a minute. Am I not the little donkey you've known since I was little? Now, have I ever known to be doing stuff like this? Now, the miracle is not that he opened the donkey's mouth. The miracle is that the madness of the prophet, he talked back to the donkey. He says, if I had a sword, I'd kill you. <laughs> Balaam is a strong warning to us as those who have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, the love, the wages of unrighteousness, 1 Peter 2.15 and Jude 11. Money was his motive. The prophet hearing and seeing the angel 
admitted his sin. But God said, go ahead, only speak what I say. So Balak met Balaam. He rebuked him lightly for not coming at the first. And he told him that he had no power to say anything except for what God told him. He told him right off at the beginning, verse 36 to 38. I can only say what God tells me. And so when you get to verse 39 of chapter 32, we begin with the prophet Balaam uttering four prophecies. The first one is found in verse 29 on down. Now the first time Balaam was to curse the children of Israel from the high place of Baal. And the Lord put a word in his mouth, it says, and told him to return to Balak and to declare that he could not curse whom God had cur- not cursed and pronounced a blessing of Israel's increase at Balak's outrage. He could say nothing. The prophet's upset. So he takes them to another side. The second time we find in verses 13 through 26 of Numbers 23, he was to curse Israel from the top of Pisgah. And the Lord met him again and sent him back again to Balak to declare that God cannot lie. He delivered them. He sees no iniquity in Israel. And there was no divination or enchantment that could come against her. But she would only prosper and conquer the land. Whoa, this is not what Balak wanted to hear. Do you notice what he said? There's no divination or enchantment that can come upon her. Sometimes Christians ask me, you know, I have this person who's in the occult and they're putting a hex on me. Are you a child of God? Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. You can't put no hex on you. You're a child of God. Now, Satan's powerful, but he's a joke compared to God. Okay? So, don't ever think that that can happen. He's outraged. The third time, verse 27 of chapter 23 on down to chapter 24, verse 9. The third time Balaam was to curse Israel from the top of Peor, but he did not go out as on other times to seek the use of sorcery, it says. But the Spirit of God came upon him and pronounced God's blessings on Israel's kingdom and blessings on those who would bless her and cursings on those who would curse her. Kind of reminds us of Abraham, chapter 12 in Genesis, right? How interesting. Well, Balak's anger arose against Balaam and declared that he had called him to curse them and not to bless them and that the Lord had kept them back from honor that he wanted to give him declaring that he could only speak God's word, he declared a fourth prophecy for the latter days, declaring the coming of the Messiah, the judgment of Moab, Edom, Amalek, and the Kenites in chapter 24, verse 10 through 24. Whoa. Some people think they can really win against God. Now, what are you doing in life that you think you're going to get over on God? You cheating on your wife? husband still getting drunk still getting loaded still playing games you gonna get over on God I don't think so how many people play games with God and try as God may people don't seem to get the message God is trying to turn individuals and instead they just slow down Pastor Xavier Reese, reminding us that God's plan is perfect and all others only lead to destruction. Simple truths he draws from our character study series of Moses. 
And by the way, you can hear this message again if you like online, anytime, by selecting today's date at the radio listings link at calvarychapelpasadena.com. But there's more important truths from today's lesson still to come right here next time. Now, if you won't be able to join us, you can always pick up a copy of this message on CD. And the title to ask for is Moses Part 3. We have it available for only $4. And this is a great way to introduce your friends and loved ones to this ministry. Once again, the title to ask for is Moses Part 3, or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And it's important that you mention the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This is important when we track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. The world defines leaders as great and powerful men, but God uses a different definition. That's coming up on the next edition of Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California www.calvarychapelpasadena.com